So, hey, y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the cops, more cops, and more and more about the cops, a little bit about the coronavirus, and also uh, a lot of things that got dropped here on knock.la. Uh, but first things first, how's everything going for you, Squirrel? Uh, it's going all right. It's a day of really being an American. Um, you know, among the weird news that dropped today yeah. was – uh, a man from my hometown or my home state of Arizona uh, was out in West Texas and ambushed a uh, caravan of uniformed National Guard troops who were transporting COVID vaccines. And he apparently held them at gunpoint, claiming to be a detective until what? the actual cops showed up Ugh. and uh, stopped him from holding the National Guard and their COVID vaccines at gunpoint. Uh, and that's just one of the uh, really weird, weird stories that dropped today. But hey, if you get the chance. Uh, go check out the slick knock.la homepage. Uh, just an amazing job by everyone from the project management team, the editorial team, all the writers in their great work. We got this slick new format, whole bunch of like new layout stuff, some really cool graphics. And we'll be talking about the really big story that knock uh, dropped today and we'll yep. be dropping throughout the rest of the month, um, as we get into the interview. Uh, but yeah, Chris, like today was a really shitty day in your hometown. Um, so I want to check yeah. in with you and see how you're doing. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm I'm doing all right. Um, it sounds like all of my uh, immediate family is is safe and sound. Uh, uh, fortunately, the my my sister in law's folks live on the north side of Boulder, and this all went down on the south side of Boulder. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's shit. This absolutely yeah. is terrible. Um, I mean, it's I mean, a lot closer to home when it's something like this, but it's also, yeah. you know, this is just the normal life that it is to be an American these days. And that's fucking sucks. So, yeah, no, it's it's scary as hell. And it's yeah. like, you know, not to shed, you know, not to, to try and add too much levity to the situation, but that onion headline about, you know, the only nation where this happens says we yep. can't stop this from happening just constantly flashes through my mind um you know my hearts go Every out to time. yeah my hearts go my heart goes out to everyone who lost someone today whose life was put in danger the people who have been traumatized by this by just knowing that their loved ones could have been put in danger like these are more and more psychic scars on the soul of our nation and yeah. like you can't keep scarring your tissue that way and expect it to heal in the same way um and hopefully we begin to actually see some movement on this but yeah. Beyond ideas about like gun control or ammunition control or background checks, this is just a deeper societal problem. This is a deeper social problem that we have. After the shootings in Atlanta, we have issues with men who just see violence as their only way of enacting uh, their will on the world or a valid way of them acting out their frustrations and anger. And this is deeper than just saying who has access to guns. This is a problem that we just are not confronting on any level and i don't think policy solutions alone can solve this this is yeah. a deep deep cancer in our society and one that we after two decades of this have failed to confront like um you know you were much closer to the columbine shooting than i was geographically yeah. but i was a junior in high school when that started you know i'm almost 40 years old that is more than half a lifetime ago and we have made zero progress in this realm so I went you know to high school the year after yeah the you know the all the prayers and all the well wishes but we need we need something beyond that and i'm not i'm not qualified to say what that is but i'm glad to hear that your family's safe chris Thank um you. and i hope that your your hometown is able to enter into healing and people can feel safe again because this sucks 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful for that too. Uh, and yeah. thank you, Squirrel, for those kind words. Um, I, I did forget to mention now that we were, we were doing this from the top a second time uh, that we are going to have Terry hopping in here in a little bit. Um, but first, we're going to be, you know, after we talk briefly about what's been going on with the coronavirus here in Los Angeles in the state of California, we do have a wonderful interview with Cerise Castle uh, talking about that incredible reporting that has just been released on Knock today. Uh, we had a chance to sit down with Cerise yesterday, uh, and it was a great conversation. I, I had a, a yeah. wonderful time talking with Cerise, and I think that that comes through in the video uh, that we were all, you know, it's it's an incredible, it's an it's a feat of of reporting and just work done by a whole bunch of people. But uh, right at the center of it is Cerise, and uh, I mean KCRW. I don't know what the fuck y'all were doing, but. You're lost, man. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, but let's uh, let's move on to uh, let's move on to the uh, the coronavirus news, which it's oh, like joy. You know, it's getting better. I'm I'm not gonna lie. It's, it is it in is many ways better. getting better. There's still a lot of reasons to be wary, but these numbers are much improved. Yeah, I mean, so we're we're at 3.6 million cases now. Uh, a, a tragic 57,201 deaths in the state of California due to the virus. Um, but we're down to below 200 deaths a day uh, at this point, which is good. And we have almost 15 million vaccinations administered. So that's uh, absolutely fantastic number for the for the vaccine rollout uh, of 340,000 vaccine jabs given yesterday, 300,000 so far today. Uh, it, it's it's going well. We actually are finally flattening that curve uh, for like the first time really in all of this i mean it's it seems like we're at a flatter point than we ever were at any other point in time uh when they've proceeded forward with any of the reopening efforts um it's great to see like i like i was saying just a second ago our seven day average for the state of california has dipped below 200 deaths per day uh which is truly great news um looking at uh the statistics across the state uh, Lassen, Kings, and Imperial County are still the most fucked, uh, but uh, things are getting better across the board. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the the big thing here is the hospitalization, which we can see has really, really tapered off uh, across uh, California, and our testing positivity has really just plummeted down to 1.6%, which is yeah. so, so much better than the 15% that we were rocking earlier on uh you know at the start of the year so that's great to see the, um, the one point to be wary about in that is even though our positivity rate seems to be going down our transmission rates are holding steady if not slowly inching up and that is a little bit of a cause of concern especially as we we know there are some very virulent strains like the brazilian variant the south african variant and even our very own california variant uh, that are now becoming more dominant over like vanilla COVID. Um, and that could in the next few months result in another wave of infections. Um, and it's also going to test the efficacy of the vaccine regime. And we're, we're just going to have to see how that goes. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, don't get too comfortable yet. Um, don't, don't go partying at Nobu just yet. Hold off for a few months. Don't Jesus go to the gym. Christ, don't, don't do the Miami beach shit. Holy. Yeah. Fuck. Don't, uh, don't get that gym membership just yet. You know, Keep doing your CrossFit at home. You can, you can, you know, pretend you've got a Peloton and keep, keep making that butt look good for bikini season in the comfort of your own apartment. 
That's what I've been doing with my bike. It's great. My thighs are rock solid at this point. Um, yeah, but here in, in L.A. County in particular, we're uh, at 1.2 million confirmed cases at this point. Uh, a tragic 22,815 deaths so far. Uh, 19 deaths today, 19 yesterday. So we're at much, much, much lower numbers, which is great to see that that is finally coming down. Uh, still an absolute tragedy that people are dying from this because... I mean, we could be doing so much better if they wouldn't have rushed things every fucking chance. Um, yep. 3.6 million vaccines administered so far in L.A. County at this point. We're averaging somewhere between 70 and eight, seventy and 90,000 jabs per day right now, which is great. Again, we have actually managed to flatten that curve finally uh, after getting to 1.2 million cases. Uh, our new cases by day have really just completely fallen off, as you can see here. Uh, our deaths by day, like they, the seven-day average finally dropped off after they did that really just stupid data reporting number. Um, and uh, we're down to, you know, in the 50, sub-50 deaths per day region, which is, is truly great to see. Um, the, let's see. Oh, hey, look, they've actually got a seven-day moving average for the vaccine doses. In yeah. That's cool. And 95. we are, we are. We are beginning to see the equity in vaccine rollout yeah. um, become a little bit better. It's still not perfect. Uh, I know Power has been doing a lot of work around this. Yes. The community health workers uh, at Power and other uh, community-based organizations have been working really hard to get jabs into the arms of black and brown communities, underserved communities. It's an uphill battle. It's getting easier. Um, it looks like May 1st, the, the leash will finally be off and everyone – over the age of 16 for Pfizer, over the age of 18 for Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, will be able to get a jab in their arm if they want it, and everyone should want it unless you have a good medical reason to not take it. Um, but the more jobs we can get in arms, the better chance we have Absolutely. of actually bringing uh, this coronavirus pandemic to an end. Even then, we're still looking at another year or so of dealing with this stuff. Like, we, we again, this is a long-haul thing. We, we may be done with COVID, but COVID's not done with us. Uh, so looking at the, the tier levels here in L.A. County, we are almost down into tier three with our adjusted co case rate, which is great. It looks like it's going to crest down into there uh, very shortly. Our positivity rate just dropped into tier four, which is great to see. Again, people really aren't getting tested nearly as much as they used to, but there are a lot of jabs that are getting into a lot of arms. So hopefully mm -hmm. uh, things will be you know, e proving even better on that very soon here. The equity index has also gotten closer to tier four. We're, we're making some real progress on that one, which is uh, fantastic to see. So overall, it looks like uh, it looks like we're finally seeing the end of all of this absolute fucking chaos. So I, for one, am grateful to be seeing this slowly come fading into the rearview mirror, maybe, hopefully. Um, yeah. But ever, ever wary of the resurgence of a a third, fourth, whatever wave this is, uh, if people just immediately drop their guard, which apparently the folks on spring break uh, are really trying very, very hard to make sure that Florida gets another wave. Um, don't do that. Just 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 don't do that. That there, there's yeah. no need. There's no need for that. So <sighs> anyway. Yeah, so let's uh, let's shift our focus now to uh, Knocked Out L.A. Uh, Cerise Castle, as well as a, a team at Knocked Out L.A., spent the last six months 
digging into a lot of documents that they got through uh, uh, California Public, Public yep. Record Act requests uh, that centered around the L.A. Sheriff's Department and the deputy gangs there. We know that there are 18, at least 18 gangs that have been active in LASD over the last 30 or so years. Um, there is a long history of violence, of people being killed, of deputies getting away with literal murder and literal violence, uh, doing things like chasing their commanding officers out of the precinct because the, they want to crack down on deputy gangs. Uh, Alex Villanueva, as we'll talk about a little bit later, is also under fire for his role in covering for these gangs. Uh, but Cerise Castle took the lead on this and did an absolutely amazing job. And Chris and I, like you mentioned, had the chance to sit down with her yesterday and talk a little bit more in depth about this. So let's uh, let's go to that interview. All right, here we go. Hey, also, we're talking to Cerise Castle, who just reported a really big story for Knocked Out LA. Before we get into that, though, how are you doing this weekend, Cerise? I'm chilling. I'm about to go see RuPaul's Drag Race at the Rose Bowl, so I'm very excited. Nice, <laughs> nice. It's a great so, way, like, to do like a big. I'm assuming it's a very socially distanced event with uh, tons of space up there. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a drive-in thing, drive and I in. think. Yeah, I think I really deserve some fun after spending the past six months uh, on this project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, I was going to ask that as a, that's actually a great segue into my one of my questions I had for you was how did this project come about? Like, what was it that uh, transpired to have you take on something of this size and scope? Yeah, um, it was a couple of different things. Um, so last summer, I was covering the protests that were going on um, after the killing of George Floyd. And um, unfortunately, I was actually hit with a rubber bullet um, mm. from that was shot at me by a police officer. And that put me on bed rest for a really, really long time. And I didn't really have a lot to do. Um, so I was reading a lot. And... Um, Around this time, Andres Guardado was also killed here in Los Angeles by the Los Angeles County Sheriff. And there was a lot of talk um, around his death that there may have been some deputy gangs involved with it. Mm -hmm. And in my bed rest, I started filing CPRA requests. And one of the CPRA requests that I filed um, turned up a list that the county keeps of money that has been spent on litigation related to deputy gangs. So once I got my hands on that list, I figured that I would go through it and start writing a comprehensive history of deputy gangs in Los Angeles County since something like that hasn't really been done before. Um, wow. I grew up around LA County and mm -hmm. you know, since I was a little kid, people have told me that the biggest gang in Los Angeles County is the sheriffs. It's always been something that I've been interested in, but it's not really something that's easy to read about because it's mm -hmm. really hard, of course, to get information about individual law enforcement officers, not to mention um, getting information about any bad behavior they may have been involved in, any discipline or, you know, even any um, civil rights cases that they may have been involved in. It's very hard to get your hands on that stuff. So I figured, um, you know, since this is something that I'm so passionate about, why mm -hmm. not write it myself? Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to ask, because you mentioned that uh, you started your research around the litigation, well, kind of stumbled into the research around the litigation costs of defending LASD deputies that may be involved in gangs. How does this compare to LASD's like larger liabilities? Because we know from previous reporting through like the LA Weekly that the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department is the biggest payout from the county in terms of lawsuits. Yeah, um, so with our 
in our review, we were able to turn up about $100 million that county taxpayers have spent. Um, and that's just on settlements. That's just settlements. So oh, what a lot of Jesus. people don't realize is that, um, you know, when you settle a lawsuit, you get your mm -hmm. settlement award, right? That's like the $1 mm -hmm. million dollars that you'll read about in the paper. Mm -hmm. But the county is also picking up the tabs for the attorney fees that yep. the plaintiff took on. So that can also be oh, hundreds of thousands okay. of dollars oh, yeah. that adds up as well. So we know about at least $100 million that have been spent on settlements, but there are hundreds of thousands of dollars that we haven't calculated that are associated with these costs as well. So the real number could be much, much higher. Yeah. So and that's hundreds I, I of thousands of dollars is... on every single instance of this happening because yeah. these lawyers, they're spending a ton of time on that. Right. So I want to ask just a, a clarifying question. So when we're talking about the attorney's fees on the county side, is this going through the county attorney's office? Are they hiring outside counsel? Like how is the county defending themselves against these lawsuits? Yeah, so what the county tends to do is they actually tend to hire um, very litigious outside counsel. And these cases go on for years and years and years. Um, <sighs> It, on paper, it looks like the county strategy is to draw it out as long as possible, um, but mm -hmm. generally they also tend to settle. These are cases that the county does not want to go to trial. They do everything in their power to keep it from going to trial because once these cases go to trial, everything comes out, right? That means that mm -hmm. all discovery evidence is public record, the testimony becomes public record, the mm -hmm. exhibits become public record, and that could be a pretty big headache for the county to deal with. So then that begs the question of why would they opt to be so litigious and just to draw it out for so much time and spend so much money on the the prosecution and well so on both sides for the legal case if they know they're going to end up settling it when you know they always do seem to settle it. I don't, I don't I can't remember the last time that there was an actual case brought to court that we got to hear about. It always ends in a settlement. Yeah. Um, as far as to why, you know, I, I really don't have an exact answer. My guess would be that they see it just as avoiding a headache. Um, you know, if these things, like I said, if these things go to trial, a lot of really nasty stuff could come out, right? Mm -hmm. Because these people are under oath. If you read the depositions, people um, in these deputy gangs are pretty freely admitting their association with them, with their tattoos, um, the way that they carry out their work. Um, you know, one disturbing quote that I read from a deputy gang member um, about a man that was released from prison for 20 years was that he didn't mind because he would probably fuck up and make a mistake anyway and then right back up in jail. Um, so, you know, I think they really want to keep that as much out of the public as possible Jesus. because it would make them look bad. So when we're talking about these deputy gangs, and this is something Nock is, has uh, reported on a bit, and they become um, more – I feel like the public is more aware of these gangs existing. But maybe you can set the table for people that aren't familiar. How many gangs are we talking about in LASD that we know about? Where are they situated? And what sort of things do we know they've done? Sure. So we know that there are at least 18 gangs that have operated at some point within the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. The most active at this time, I believe, are the Vanditos, which are at the mm. East Los Angeles station, the Executioners, who function out of the Compton station, and the Spartans, which function out of, I believe, both the Compton and the Century station. Um, as far as crimes that they're involved in, you know, it really runs the gambit. It's everything from, you know, uh, physical assaults on people during arrests or people that are incarcerated, uh, murder, which we're all familiar with, and deputy-involved shootings. I've heard cases of deputies that have been involved in rapes of inmates. Um, 
covering up evidence, um, lying in their reports. I've, um, there are several deputies that I've reported on that actually went to federal prison for, you know, lying about beating up a man who had come to Men's Central Jail to visit his brother. Mm -hmm. He was actually beaten um, beyond recognition and charged um, with assault on a deputy. Um, eventually it came out that the whole thing had been made up and he was, you know, freed and given a settlement. But, Jesus. you know, stories like that, there there are hundreds of them. Uh, that, I, wow. Uh, I mean, that, that, that brings to mind what happened, um, you know, with uh, right outside of St. Louis with with the, you know, the officer. Oh, claiming in, uh, the, Ferguson. The, yeah, in Ferguson, the the the, the bloodstains on the uniform being somehow the fault of the person who had the shit beaten out of them. And it's just like, all, all of the cops everywhere. It happens everywhere. Holy shit. So I wanted to ask when we're talking about these settlements and we're talking about these large sums of money, a hundred million dollars over like a, a not that long a period of time. Where's that money coming from? Is that coming out of the sheriff's department budget or is that coming out of just regular county coffers? Yeah. So none of it really comes out of the sheriff's department um, and none of the individual officers are personally responsible. Um, in California, we have a law that protects government employees from personal liability if they are you know, charged with a criminal act that they're done um, in the course of their work, um, their department takes on that responsibility. So, you know, there are sheriff's deputies, um, a few that I've uncovered, that have been involved with several shootings that, mm. you know, don't really face any discipline from the department. They're actually promoted and they don't have any fiscal responsibility for these cases. It all falls to, unfortunately, county taxpayers. These settlements are coming out of, most of the time, the county's general fund. And when you were when you're going through and doing the research on this, you mentioned like some of the quotes that you read were disturbing. I want to ask, what's the personal toll of researching this kind of violence that's happening because of our tax dollars, like you, me, everyone who pays taxes, sales taxes in LA County, in some way we're complicit in this violence happening. And that that always kind of disturbs me a bit, but I don't come as face to face with it as you have during this research. Yeah, I mean, um, it's been hard. I've cried a lot. Um, probably been drinking a lot more than I should be. <laughs> I mean, that just goes without saying. Pandemic. It's the pandemic, it happens. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's been very intense. It's been very intense. Um, I'm grateful to have a strong support system, grateful to have um, a very supportive girlfriend that talks to me through all of these awful stories that I'm uncover. She's willing to listen to them and help me process. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, one thing that really um, keeps me hopeful and inspired is um, Hearing from the families how happy they are that um, people are interested in this, that people want to learn about this, and they're happy that you know Knock is um, publishing publishing this and trying to get this information out to the people. So I have a, a bit of a random side question, and, and if this is something that can't be talked about on the air, just let us know. But um, speaking of the families, like I've having been part of the, the BLM protest actions for the last uh, couple of years at this point, I've met with the families of like Ryan Twyman and Anthony Vargas, uh, both of whom were executed by uh, sheriff's deputies. 
Um, I know that there were lots of discussions about the Bandito's involvement with the Vargas situation, but I hadn't actually heard if there were any potential gang links, uh, sheriff's gang links uh, related to the Twyman incident. Did, did, did any of that come up in the, the course of your research? Not yet. Um, Ryan's case, I'm still looking at very heavily. And, you know, all, all of these deputy killings, um, the more that I learn about mm-hmm. other cases, the more um, information it gives me about an incident that may have happened like earlier or a year ago. Um, and Ryan's case is one of those cases. As I'm learning more and more about the executioners and the Spartans and more names are coming up, I'm able to look back at, you know, the people that are involved in his case. And I'm hoping that, you know, uh, well, I won't say I'm hoping that there's a deputy gang involved, but I hope that, you know, looking at it again with another set of eyes can hope, hopefully bring some more consensus to what exactly happened and who is responsible. Yeah, getting answers for the families being obviously the most important thing that can come out of this because we know that there's very there's going to be very limited liability and you know traditional uh justice in terms of like any kind of a prosecution or holding these officers liable because that's just not how our system uh works at this point. But at least getting the clarity and knowing what had happened um, and being able to have that see the light of day and not have a, a, a sheriff like Villanueva just, you know, gaslighting everybody and, and lying about it uh, and tr- being able to just brush it under the rug as they've been able to do for so long with so many of these. Oof. So uh, I guess the, the question I want to turn to now is sort of where we as a political body, as the as Los Angeles County can go from here. We have the Civilian uh, Review Oversight Commission, uh, Measure J, passed by wide, wide margins. Um, but that doesn't seem to have had an impact on Alex Villanueva or the way that he's running the department. What does accountability need to look like in the next couple of years to start reining this sort of behavior in? Yeah, you know, I think at, I think at a very, at the very minimum, there needs to be a complete review of the sheriff's department by an independent body at the very minimum. I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of action that um, voters individually can take. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned in the course of my research, um, a system that's in place to protect these officers is something called the Peace Officers Bill of Rights or POBRA, which I'm sure you've discussed on this program. What, it, what a terrible name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it sucks. It is yes. absolutely terrible. And that, that it came up a ton with uh, connections with SB fourteen twenty one, back when all of that was at the top of the news. Which, oh, to have those those peaceful times, reminiscing be it back when fourteen twenty one was the most controversial thing coming out about law enforcement at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a year um, ago. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy what's happened in a year, right? Oh my god! Yeah. Holy shit. So uh, I guess, but, oh, oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, yeah, the, so for, for folks who aren't familiar with the Peace Officers Bill of Rights, uh, do you want to give just like a, a quick top-level uh, summary of it for for people, like what, like how long ago it was introduced and like what the, the broad sweeping, um, the, just general terms of what kind of protections it provides for the officers? Yeah, so g- generally speaking, it, 
it gives them any kind of protection you would really want if you were to be the subject of a criminal investigation, right? You're allowed to meet with your union representative and an attorney and find out what exactly the investigation is going to be about. I believe they can review any footage of the incident that occurred that they're going to be investigated. So basically it allows them to, you know, meet with their people and come up with a story that fits the narrative. And that narrative being, I was in fear for my life, so I shot. And, you know, 99% of the time when you read these um, cases and these officers' statements, that's exactly what they say. Yep. Mm -hmm. Saw something that looked like a gun. Sorry. Yeah. And everything just happens to look like a gun. <laughs> Any parts um, of bikes, whatever. It always looks like a gun. Fingers, fingers. For, Cigarette um, cases. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Cell phones. <laughs> yeah. Belt buckles. Um, oh. Yeah, we could keep going on. I, I want to ask for people, uh, obviously the story is dropping. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting this Monday, Tuesday on the podcast. The story comes out on Monday, uh, March 22nd. For people that are, are interested in checking this out or people that may have seen like some coverage of this on social media, might be seeing their friends boosting it, what are the top line takeaways that you hope people are getting? Like, What are the top tweets you want to be uh, seeing kind of spreading through the zeitgeist out of this work? Yeah, I would love for people to remember that we've spent $100 million over the past 30 years mm. on these gang settlements. And there have been some great graphics floating around that just talks about, you know, what exactly the real cost of that is. That could be 50 zero emission buses. That could be thousands of counselors. Instead, we're, you know, we're essentially um, paying off people for civil rights violations, which is which is horrible. I mean, it's something for the family, but I mean, that's nothing compared to living with the loss of your loved one and the knowledge that the people who killed your loved one are potentially still on the streets with a gun and a badge and a license to kill. Um, I'd love people to remember that we've identified at least 1,100 people that have been involved in deputy gangs. That's over 10% of the department. So this is not a small issue. Um, and... You know, I, I, I really want people to just to remember to engage with this. I mean, we're, we're creating a database of these people. It's going to be a living document. Um, and I, I would want people to remember that that's something that will be available and that they can that they can turn to. Um, and I would want people to share it uh, because this this affects everyone. If you live in Los Angeles County, um, like you said, we're, we're all playing a role in this in some way. Um, so I think it's something that we all should know about and hopefully change. Yeah, Absolutely. and L LASD is one of the largest uh, law enforcement agencies in the nation. Uh, total budget of around six billion dollars when you add in pensions and all of those fun obligations. It's, it's staggering sums of money and and people that we're talking about. Um, I, I want to ask this because I always kind of wax nostalgic whenever Knock like starts doing this like real work as I consider it because as one of the people who sat around the table and was like, "LA Weekly's dead. Let's like start a thing. Let's see what we can do about that." Maybe you can talk a little bit about what the value of knock and this sort of very independent reporting is because we don't have advertisers. We don't have billionaires giving us money. We're very much like, Oh, you want to do a thing? Yeah, do a thing. Um, and talk about that kind of press freedom. Cause I, I'm excited to see this kind of work being done, especially by someone with the credibility and the credentials as, as someone such as yourself. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really think that only a place like knock could do something like this. Right. I mean, We've, we've had information about these deputy gangs in Los Angeles since at least 1973, and there have been 
there there are thousands, not thousands, but we know we know the big institutions in Los Angeles, right? They've had access to this information for the past 50 years and nothing like this was ever done. I don't really have answers as to why that happened. I have my suspicions and there's another podcast you can listen to about that. Um, but uh, <laughs> so again, which, I think which, it, which podcast is that? Go ahead and plug whatever <laughs> you want to plug. Yeah, what, I, I know you're doing some media rounds. So where else can people listen to you? Oh, I don't know if I want people to listen to that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> it's LA Pod, um, where I just I talk about um, just sort of the the racism that I experienced um, oh, yeah. working in local media in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, um, and. Yeah, I think I think that plays into it. I mean, it's not a secret that when people of color express these things that they're typically gaslit um, or ignored. Um, and I think that that played into um, why this has been not not covered the way I think it should be. I think because a lot of the times um, these deputy gang members are terrorizing low income people of color, sometimes people that may have been involved in a street gang that doesn't necessarily mean that they're involved in criminal activity um but for law enforcement that usually is um carte blanche to you know unleash terror as they say fit um well that that actually just that reminded me of that that incredibly fucked up story with the um one of the cops and one of the sheriff's deputies involved with uh, andres guardado uh they got removed from the job for not for killing Andres Guardado, but for the like for abduction. That car. Uh, well, but it was the abduction and like b- b- beating basically of like some dude at a skate park who then they, they threw into the back of the car and had him like bouncing around in there before they smashed into a wall. And like, it's, it's like this is the, this is repeated behavior that just doesn't get any kind of real attention uh, unless it's you know y'all doing this like this is absolutely um, uh, amazing work but like the 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 kind of track records and the just ability of the sheriff's department to sweep all of this under the rug for so so long and not have it called out by you know those kinds of uh the the venerable institutions uh of the press here in los angeles is uh truly you know unforgivable frankly it's a failure it's a major failure on the part of our local media 100 percent 100%. And I think that, you know, anyone working in Los Angeles media in the past 50 years played a role in that. Um, I'm I'm great. I'm incredibly grateful for Knock to giving me the resources and the platform uh, to publish this. Um, And like I said, I really I truly do not believe that, um, you know, a major institution would have done something like this just because, you know, we have the receipts. History speaks for itself. this this is something that had to be done by by an independent media outlet. Nice. I, I'm really happy um, we were able to to do that for you because um, Knock is such a such an oh odd my. duck when it comes to the media landscape here in LA and, and pretty much everywhere. We hope to see more of it going on uh, as we round towards the end. I was wondering if you have any closing thoughts, any ideas about what people can start doing now to get more active, to start putting pressure on Villanueva, on the LA County Board of Supervisors, like how we can begin to take this information and use it to build more power. Yeah, 100%. I think that, you know, um, Knock and Ground Game is really great at activating people for um, public comment. I think <laughs> I think getting loud is always, always great and a great step to take. Um, I also um, would like to 
encourage people to take a look at people that have doing that have been doing space in this arena for a long time. Um, this is the first time I've written about something like this, but th there are lots of people that have been doing this work for years. Um, and I would really encourage um, people to um, look to some of the guidance from like the ACLU. They've been monitoring deputy gangs um, for about almost almost 20 years now. Um, mm -hmm. I would encourage people to check out the Check the Sheriff Coalition, which is doing some organizing directly around, um, you know, removing Villanueva and, um, you know, advocating for changes in the Sheriff's Department. Um, well, probably advocating for abolishing the Sheriff's Department <laughs> is a more accurate. <laughs> that is, as somebody who's been involved yeah. with Check the Sheriff for a bit, that is the, that is the correct uh, analysis. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would really, I would really encourage people to look, to look to those groups, um, for, for what can be done. I have a lot of information as to, as to what happened in the past. And I hope that that can arm the people that make policy decisions to make better ones in the future. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Cerise. I'm really excited to, uh, to read the series again. It's live on knock, uh, knockdown LA right now. If you're listening on Monday or Tuesday on the podcast, uh, keep looking out for more great work from Cerise and also knocked out LA. We're getting ready to like relaunch the homepage and do like a whole fancy new thing. So, uh, this is us hopefully embarking on a, a whole new chapter and I can't say thank you enough again for being part of that. Really quick. If people want to follow you on social media series, how should they do that? Yeah, you can follow me. I am on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Cerise Castle. Simple enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming by and having this conversation with us. It's always great to hear from you and uh, you know, wish you the best of luck with the publication of all of this. Hopefully uh, the, 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 the fallout from it doesn't get too too hairy, but uh, uh, we're, we got your back. So see thank you. you. Around. <laughs> See you. <laughs> Thanks, Ceres. All right, we are back. Oh, With Terry. Terry. <laughs> and Terry. Oh, wait, that, that, that direction. <laughs> Anyways, how are you doing today, Terry? Doing well, doing well. Thanks. <clears throat> not, not much going on in my part of the world. Uh, it's finally warming up to temperatures that you would consider freezing and uh so it's been it's been lovely to get outside a little bit don't call us out on our southern california privilege <laughs> it's freezing when it's below 50 damn it but yeah i want to say you know to, to sort of fill people in uh the uh series that cerise has been working on is called a tradition of violence a uh, part of that has uh unveiled the names of 1,100 current and former LASD employees who have been involved in deputy gangs in some way, shape, or form. And that's not even a complete list. Like, that's just the 1,100 that we know about. And to give you some idea of what that $100 million that's been spent defending the department from lawsuits connected to this gang could do. Huh? Yeah, no, uh, put up the... Um, uh, the oh, graphics the gra about what yeah, we could yeah, do with yeah. 100 million. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, we didn't we didn't plan this. By out the way, that time. By the way, the the art on this series is absolutely great. Um, it really just is. absolutely bang up work by everyone. Uh, but yeah, so that hundred million of dollars, hundred million dollars could have bought nearly or could have paid the salaries of nearly two thousand rehab counselors. Uh, yeah. 
Hold on. Next graphic. I'm going. <laughs> it could have paid for 50 40 foot zero emission buses uh, so we could cut pollution here in LA, which seems, you know, kind of fucking important, especially when it comes to our public transit system, which is just absolutely terrible. We have a public transit system? We do. I was just watching Speed the other night and it reminded me we have a subway. <laughs> Oh, Speed. I need to watch that again. Classic, classic L.A. infrastructure movie. And yeah, then that uh, was last... the most... Oh. Sorry. That was the most unbelievable part about Collateral, right? That Tom Cruise dies on a subway in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, that $100 million could have been spent on 1,912 children's social workers... 1,400 psychiatric social workers, 1,989 social workers, or 1,361 clinical social workers. Like, we could have actually been helping the people in L.A. that need to be helped. But instead, this money was spent defending the department from lawsuits that they ultimately ended up settling just to visit more cruelty on the families of victims of police violence. And we know that these lawsuits are going to continue. We're going to be talking about Villanueva a little bit later. But just just so everyone knows, (laughs) these first three parts – are the first three parts of a 13-part series that's going to be fully released by the end of the month. Uh, not, the Knock team will be taking a break over the weekend, but every weekday this week and for most of next week, look out for new drops, exploring the story more, talking about the damage that LASD does, not just to the finances of L.A. County, but to the people who live here and the way oh, in yeah. which they directly damage our communities. And I think the, the quote that's still sticking with me the most was from a private investigator, Mr. Lin, who was hired by one of the families, and he talked about his experience in Vietnam and likened it to the way that LASD deputies don't live in the neighborhoods they patrol. They're sent into these neighborhoods, these communities where they don't belong, where they don't have a vested interest in the lives of the people living there, and they treat it like a war zone. They don't care what happens to the people that they are patrolling and policing. They see them as just bodies to be acted upon, not as human beings who are to be served and protected. And There's going to be a lot coming out in these next few days. I encourage you to read the series, but, like, be in a good place before you do. This is all really hard, really gun-wrenching reading. Yeah, I mean, we've – I don't – yeah. I don't don't even know where to, like, to go with this. Like, I've I've spoken with the the families of, you know, victims of murderous sheriff's department deputies and – the the wanton cruelty of these fucking assholes uh who as you said they 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 treat it as though they are an occupying force in a ho- in hostile territory and that hostile territory is you know people's homes it's east los angeles yeah. it's south los angeles it's the unincorporated parts of this county where you know even LAPD isn't welcome. It's the the fucking most bloodthirsty gang in the entire country runs around in khakis and guns people down with impunity. And yeah. that's that's what we're dealing with because even when they even when they are totally completely inexcusably guilty, they never suffer any consequences from it and then we the taxpayer get to pick up the tab and instead of investing in our communities and building ourselves up and trying to right the systemic wrongs we are you know making a a pittance offering in exchange for the bloodshed by these 
racist fucking assholes in khaki. And it's yeah. just goddamn terrible. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, here, here's here's the uh, the landing page. Go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, Tara, I actually wanted to turn to you because as one of the original editors of Knock, I was just hoping you could talk a little bit about like what it's been like watching this journey as Knock grows from like our little, okay, we need to publish an article this week, who's writing what, to this operation where we look like we actually have our shit together. Like, it's crazy, what? man. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I mean, we finally achieved the Groucho Marx's dream, right? Where, like, I... This is a club that I would not be invited into anymore, <laughs> which is, which is just, just fantastic, uh, right? Um, uh, especially with the new website, uh, a shameless plug. Go check out the website. It is gorgeous. It looks far more professional than has any right to be. Uh, the, if you scroll all the way to the bottom <clears throat> and you see, this is a nonprofit community-driven oh, media think. project. Um, you know, n emphasis there on non-profit and, and the work that has gone in um, over the years. And, and I've been really pretty involved with trying to get us off of Medium because we, we started with Medium because it was free. And yeah. uh, and we had no money. So, yeah. and, we, and, I, and Knox still has no money. You know, so let's not kid ourselves or anything. But... Uh, you know, trying to get the website migration um, to get all the articles off of Medium, uh, the the coding and the and the art art design work that has gone into this is just uh, is just outstanding. Uh, so yeah. um, I hope every I hope our readers appreciate the uh, you know, doing this for for you guys, right? And and for anyone that does want to continue supporting Knock, you can always head over to patreon.com backslash knock underscore LA. Uh, throw us a few bucks there and get some really, really cool goodies. We got some pins. We got some stickers. We got some T-shirts. We got some face masks because you're going to need those for a bit. Every dollar that you're giving to us goes to the writers. It's not going to the editorial staff. It's not going to paying the rent at the ground game office. It's literally going to making sure that writers like Cerise Castle, like the next journalist that comes our way and says, hey, I've got this really important story that nobody else is going to publish that nobody else is going to run will y'all take this chance with me and we can say yes and we can make sure that that writer is taken care of for the insane amount of work that they've had to put into this so um definitely go check out the series keep an eye on it and now we're gonna uh we're gonna roll into some more cop stuff uh cop specifically stuff. alex yeah alex villanueva first um because sheriff villanueva is uh has been subpoenaed by Max Huntsman, which I got to say, the Inspector General of L.A. County, like Max Huntsman, is a really good name. Like, just Max Huntsman <laughs> sounds like a hardcore name for an Inspector General. Uh, but Max Huntsman wants to sit down with Sheriff Villanueva and talk to him about his knowledge of deputy gangs. And Sheriff Villanueva, being the Trumpian idiot that he is, uh, does not want to sit down for this interview. So, Chris, maybe you can lead us through a couple of the quotes we got here. Sure. So Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva says he will not honor a subpoena from the county inspector general huh? suing to block the county from forcing him to sit down for an interview on what he knows about, quote unquote, deputy gangs within the sheriff's ranks. I love that, like, courthousenews.com is uh, giving us scare quotes around deputy gangs because they're deputy gangs, y'all. Uh, yep. Villanueva filed his petition Monday calling the subpoena, quote, too broad harassing, end quote, and uh, said 
as the head of a government agency, he's not subject to depositions. That's um. That's an that's, that's an a interesting very one. Unique legal strategy. <laughs> Let's see how this one plays out for him. Uh, just go drop on down to the bottom. Quote, thus far, the, invest- the inspector general has refused any less intrusive methods or sources for information he seeks and has dismissively stated it will simply be, quote, inefficient to use written requests. Uh, that's coming from Villanueva, which, <clears throat> bullshit. Uh, in an email, Huntsman said he has not seen Villanueva's petition and pointed to a December 2020 report from his office outlining misconduct claims against the sheriff's department. Villanueva is represented by Linda Savitt from... Ballad Rosenberg Gulper Savitt. In case you want to know who to contact if you're a Trumpian asshole uh, who genuinely believes that the law does not apply to you because um, you won an election against a truly terrible person and then you know decided to show your true colors as being actually even more terrible uh, somehow yeah. because that's just how this works. Now, this was also uh, earlier this week, uh, Piper French published an article, again, on Knock.LA. You're probably beginning to pick up on a theme here, uh, talking about uh, Sheriff Villanueva and some of the interesting things he had to say. And I know, Chris, you wanted to chat about this one because uh, it's a pretty like it's a, a pretty it's a hard article to read. But it's it's kind of funny in a way, uh, the way that Villanueva tries to sell himself as like the thin line that divides order from chaos in this city. I just absolutely love the fact that they stole a screen grab from uh, Mad Max Fury Road and uh, put it up there because it genuinely the the resemblance between a Morton Joe and Sheriff Alex Villanueva, uh, Dr. Sheriff Alex Villanueva, if my my memory serves, uh, is just truly one of the most spectacular graphics I've seen in an article in a long time. but yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, I can read a little bit here. These are very long paragraphs to go th- to go through. <laughs> now that I'm looking uh, more closely but the, at these. Yeah, the 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 thrust of the article is, you know, Sheriff Villanueva really, really wants everyone in the county to see him and his deputies as the only people keeping order from chaos. And we know with their actions over the summer, with their continued actions and their literal gangs of deputies, that they're a cause of far more chaos than they are a cause of order. Like. Alex Villanueva and his deputies don't bring calm to the communities that they police. They bring terror. They bring violence. They bring a controlling, occupying hand. And it's one that really kind of like makes us wonder how much he can be trusted. And the more that the Civilian Oversight Commission pushes for transparency from the sheriff's office, the more he pushes back. And we saw this again today in some breaking news that broke right as we were putting this show together, uh, that 47 more employees and officers in the L.A. uh, County Sheriff's Department were named as defendants in a lawsuit over the actions of the Banditos gang, which operates out of the East Hollywood station. Uh, All of these deputy gangs, East L.A., sorry, not East Hollywood, East L.A. There's no deputies in East Hollywood. They would be in West Hollywood. Um, But, sorry, uh, but uh, these deputies in East Los Angeles have been connected to several murders and assaults uh, for for many, many years now. Um, And with uh, LASD officers finally playing whistleblower, we're getting a little bit of transparency here, but the sheriff's department is being intransigent and trying to explain that they're doing everything they can to stop these deputies from, like, getting away with murder, which, no, they're absolutely not. But we see these lawsuits getting um, more and more escalated. We see more questions being asked. And one of the questions that I'm really hoping comes out of this in the near future is why – the county board of supervisors and 
neither the board of supervisors nor the sheriff. I mean, I understand that the sheriff would never do anything about this, but why even the county board of supervisors won't take action to demand that sheriff's deputies who kill people are then not allowed to patrol the areas where the killing happened or where Mm -hmm. the family of the victims happened. Because right now that shit happens all the fucking time. And it is merciless how the sheriff's department is just absolutely terrorizing and harassing the families of the victims of their own violence. Like they not only seem completely remorseless in having murdered folks like uh, uh, Anthony Vargas and Ryan Twyman and all of the other hundreds of victims that they've had in just the last few years, but then they continue to harass the families of these, of these victims who are, you know, the, 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 they re-victimize and re-traumatize over and over and over again. These people who are just trying to, you know, get some semblance of justice out of our completely fucked system. And Mm -hmm. the sheriff, I I, I mean, the sheriff's an asshole. I don't expect him to do a goddamn thing about this, but even the County Board of Supervisors is like being so incredibly slow to take action on it. Hopefully we will see something come out of this with, you know, I'm glad to see that at least some of the sheriff's deputies are deciding to finally uh, step up and uh, try to dispel the uh, the acronym that is so fitting. Uh, but at the same time, the, you know, there, there there's so much of an abundance of evidence to support calls from the community to demand more from our law enforcement uh, officers and from the agencies and, and, and the municipal boards and uh, bodies that govern their actions uh, to actually treat not just the victims, but the victims' families as human beings and give them some level of respect and human decency that, <clears throat> frankly, these, these, these bullies with badges uh, just refuse to do because they don't there's no accountability. There's no accountability yeah. mechanisms well, or anything else. Well, that, that's the power move, right? That mm-hmm. we're, we're going to terrorize the community. We're going to murder citizens. And then if you dare to file a lawsuit or if you dare to be related to a victim, we will terrorize you even further. Yep. And uh, it, it's, it's just it's simply it is bullying. It's a power move to just to do a scorched earth, total dominance of a community that these officers are not a part of. And the, and the sheriff's rhetoric of this like thin blue line between order and chaos plays perfectly I, in, in certain to certain audiences. Um, that rhetoric is, I think, strategic because you have, you have a, a nationwide and specifically in, in L.A. media that is going to going to be on the side of the cops always. Um, if nothing else, it will be a continuous passive voice officer involved shooting, never officer Jesus, shot. Right. I mean, yeah. So so we all we all know. I mean, it, pub, the public knows that the serve and protect is all bullshit, but but they still are caught in a mindset, I think, <clears throat> of. It's a tough job and it's a rough world out there and things are going to happen. And the, and the sheriff's department and the and LAPD and, and the rest are going are gonna to play into that. And then the more chaos that there is, then it's like the more 
bad behavior is excused, right? And so the, the, the police forces will cause chaos and then use that chaos to justify their own bad behavior because, well, if not for us, the, the hordes, the masses will, will, you know, take over kind of thing. And uh, it, it's going to take a lot of, uh, a lot of exposure for that to, uh, for any kind of accountability to happen. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, g- good on these, uh, you know, sheriffs that are starting to come out and like do a little bit of whistleblowing. Uh, we need a lot more of that. It's, that's why we say that's why we say that mm-hmm. there are no good cops, right? Because the good cops are the ones who, who quit. Yeah. 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 Uh, but and I, I, it's, I, this also this this all comes on the heels of LAPD releasing a report about its conduct during the summer protests, which we're not going to go into too much. It came out last week. It's gotten a lot of media coverage. But this was written by five former LAPD commanders and people who are high up in the ranks of LAPD and already had a pro-cop bias. And surprisingly, the reforms that they suggest are reforms that would give LAPD more power. And so the, the answer to police misconduct is to give the police more money and more authority and to train officers better in how to control crowds, to basically make them specialists in how to quash protests and how to step on First Amendment rights without getting caught. It's never things like we shouldn't have LAPD trying to decide who is a uh, journalist of protest, who's open, who can be, uh, whose rights can be violated safely, um, how mass arrests can be done in the right way instead of not having mass arrests. We all remember the, um, the uproar from Jackie Robinson Stadium at UCLA being turned into a mass detention facility over the summer, uh, thousands of people being rounded up. You know, when curfew would hit, LAPD would just literally unleash their officers to arrest random people who happened to be commuting home yep. after curfew. And none of those cases went to trial. None of those people were ever prosecuted or convicted of those crimes, but they still lost hundreds of dollars uh, having to pay for uh, or like perhaps having to be at a uh, work for a day, having to spend the night in jail, uh, lost property, had all sorts of crappy stuff happen to them, even beyond just the, the pain and the trauma of being arrested. Mm-hmm. We just see this continued malfeasance, and the, uh, the answer from the state is not to stop that malfeasance, but rather to make it a more palatable form of malfeasance. I, I was just going to say that I, I, I see where you're going with the next connection to the next <laughs> article we're going to talk about, but... Uh, this also brings to mind uh, the current case that uh, Lexis uh, Olivier Ray, who has done a lot of reporting over at L.A. Taco, uh, he's currently facing he's the only person facing charges from like failure to obey a, a, a lawful order or whatever the fuck it is that they're using against him relating to him being present at the, uh, you know, the 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 uh actions celebration speech, after the dodgers yeah. yeah the celebration after the dodgers won uh the 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 world series he was out there reporting on it and was declared you know absolutely identifiable as press everybody knows i mean all the activists know he's press like, the cops gotta know by this point mm-hmm. he's got the badge around him he's wearing a camera like around his neck he is clearly out there documenting things he's not out there like shooting it on a fucking cell phone which is something that journalists are allowed to do you can yeah. document citizens things on a are fucking allowed cell to phone. do citizens are allowed to do this you still can't you know decide that they don't have that first amendment right just because you're wearing a badge but 
no one else is being prosecuted for this, and they are trying to bring him the city attorney, fuck Mike Fuhrer, who's trying to bring charges against Lexus and say that, you know, ex post facto that he didn't follow a quote unquote lawfully given order to disperse. It's like, dude, he's 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 press. Yeah. He is there to cover the the horrible actions of your dep of your uh, your police officers who, by the way, beat the shit out of him earlier in the year. And it probably has something to do with the fact that he's, you know, trying to get uh, some resolution to the, the, the violence that he sustained as a reporter reporting on the, the, the uprisings and being beaten with batons earlier in the year. It feels like there's some serious retribution going on from LAPD and from Depu uh, the city attorney Mike Fuhrer's office over uh, Lexus's, uh, you know, willingness to step forward and, and be honest and truthful about the fact that LAPD just, you know, smashed him with batons multiple times uh, during the uprisings because they yeah. absolutely fucking did. He's got video of it and they uh, are trying to make an example of him. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's uh, go ahead and let's go ahead and move on to talk about the yeah. Beverly Hills story because um, sure. we're running really long on this one. Yeah. Um, so Beverly Hills earlier this summer arrested uh, 25 people at a protest uh, using their uh, very quickly implemented noise ordinance law, which they passed, which made it illegal for more than eight or 10 people to gather after 6 p.m. and make any sort of noise. Um, 25 people were arrested. They were held for an inordinately long amount of time. Um, well, it was 25 um, because okay. another one was arrested for arson for uh, burning a flag uh, at a previous protest. Um, but they were held for uh, up to 24 hours in holding cells, not meant to hold somebody for more than a couple of hours. Uh, I was actually at this protest, um, yeah. and it was very weird because when when Beverly Hills PD was saying, you're making too much noise, you have to go home, you have to leave the area, they were doing that over an LRAD uh, strapped to a bear cat. So. <laughs> They were using one of the largest, one of the loudest ways you can, like one of the loudest sound systems in the country to announce to people like you have to go home. You're keeping up the, the good citizens of this wealthy Beverly Hills neighborhood where half these mansions are empty anyways. Uh, Beverly Hills couldn't find any L.A. County prosecutors to actually take up the case, so they had to hire private law firms to prosecute these cases. Uh, a judge ended up throwing out the noise ordinance law, which vacates all of those uh, those uh, prosecutions because the law is no longer valid. And this was, again, passed pretty much in the dead of night by Beverly Hills City Council as a way to quash uh, Black Lives Matter protests. This particular protest was led by the Black Future Project, who was involved with the occupation at Grand Park for a long while. Um, and it, it was really just a, a huge mess. And really, Beverly Hills doing what they could to just quash black voices from being able to express themselves in the city of Beverly Hills. The protest was pretty much entirely peaceful. Nobody got in any fights. Nothing bad happened. No streets were blocked. Um, it was when it went into residential neighborhoods that uh, Beverly Hills PD waited and ambushed these people. If Beverly Hills really wanted to keep people out of the neighborhood, they could have kept people out of the neighborhood. They could have literally just stopped people from going up the streets. Beverly Hills didn't do that. They set a trap for people. They let people go into the neighborhoods where there weren't any exits and then surrounded the group of people not letting them leave. They then issued conflicting orders. An ambulance was called because one protester was kind of very roughly handled. Uh, it's really good to hear that these protesters will not be facing charges because it's already been enough time and energy out of their lives facing what are, are really ridiculous and stupid charges. Absolutely. Um, well, one quick I, thing. Go for it. 
I guess at least nobody came out of their house holding guns at yeah. them and then, you know, and then spoke at the Republican National Convention. So, like, there's at least that. Yeah. I mean, well, that was the interesting thing was all of the, the Trump-like MAGA protests that went down in Beverly Hills were far more violent. Uh, but Beverly Hills police did not arrest any of the right-wing organizers, despite the fact that they were there every single weekend for months, for months, creating lots of problems, beating people up, starting fistfights. Some people were confirmed to be carrying concealed weapons or even pulled out their guns to intimidate people and were not arrested by LASD deputies who were there keeping the peace, quote-unquote. Um, it was clearly a setup, and it's clear, you know, which side LAPD, or not LAPD, but LAPD as well as Beverly Hills PD was there to protect. Um, but yeah, so congratulations on those charges being dropped. And, you know, just another sign that shitty cities like Beverly Hills can't legislate their way around the First Amendment. But let's uh, before we go too long, let's talk real quick about the point in time count, sure. uh, because the housing and urban development, the uh, federal um, bureaucracy actually did do a national point in time count, even though L.A. County uh, canceled their one for this year uh, because of uh, COVID fears, which is not completely unreasonable. But one of the problems is the point in time count is used to decide funding for outreach and services and shelters. So if a city or a county doesn't do the point in time count, they don't necessarily have access to all of the money that they should be getting. And we know the point in time counts are always a little bit false. They're always meant to be undercounts. They're always meant to show that the problem is getting a little bit worse, but not as bad as everyone knows that it is. But maybe uh, you can lead us through some of the key takeaways real quick. Sure. So on a single night back in January of 2020, uh, 580,466 people, uh, about 18 of every 10,000 people in the U.S. experienced homelessness across the, the entire country. That's 2.2% increase over the 2019 numbers. Um, and I'm sure the actual number is, is much higher, but oh, that's that's still a significant increase in terms of people. Absolutely. So this is, uh, you know, there were there were steady reductions from 2010 to 2016, but homelessness has been in the on the increase for the last four years consecutively. Um, and predictably, we, I mean, any anyone who uh, has been paying any attention over the last year would say that uh, the 2020 to 2021 uh, transition is probably going to be even worse. Um, increase in homelessness was due to the to a rise in unsheltered individuals, which was seven percent rise from 2019 to 2020. Uh, this increase impacted the largest increase of individuals experiencing chronic homelessness, which was a 15 percent increase over 2019. Uh, it is mostly due to California's contributions to the national national picture um, because we do have something like what is it 20 20 something percent 25 percent of the uh total unhoused population of the entire u.s living in a state I mean, that it's, has less a little over yeah the, of the population the the um the state of california has about a hundred thousand people unhoused la county is supposed to be fifty nine thousand or so i pegged the number closer to between 80,000 and 100,000 people just in L.A. County. A lot of people are undercounted. A lot of people who are couch surfing who aren't necessarily sleeping outside are hard, hard to capture in these counts. Yep. Um, so I would say, you know, these numbers, again, are probably an undercount by a good 20 to 30 percent. Like we're probably Absolutely. looking at much closer to a million people experiencing homelessness on any given night across the United States. Yep. And so uh, another key feature of this count is that veteran homelessness did not decrease at all in 2020. 
Um, youth homelessness is slightly down 2.2% versus 2019. But again, these counts are extremely bad at taking into account what is going on with couch surfing and people staying you know, with friends and relatives, which, uh, you know, that counts, that should count as being homeless. You do not have a home if you are couch surfing. You have a place to stay, but that's not a home. And the fact that these surveys are so bad at accounting for that is really one of the things that people should not uh, overlook when they're reading about this kind of reporting. So uh, again, as one would expect, people of color are significantly overrepresented among the people who are experiencing homelessness because we live in a failed state at the end of, uh, you know, at the, the, the fall of the American empire. So yeah, hey, I guess. And, it, and, and this is not, you know, and not to say that this is in the same category, but these surveys also can't cover, can't give us any idea about housing insecurity. Oh, yeah. People that are worried, people who are worried that, that next month or, or two months down the line or people who are, are choosing between medicine or food or rent. Um, and so, I mean, the scope of the problem uh, of, of, of housing in this country is just astronomical. Absolutely. Yeah. And we know that people who are living in L.A. are under a lot more pressure than they have been. There could be some action happening uh, this week at Echo Park Lake. That community has been under attack from the police as well as the local council office headed by Mitch O'Farrell for months and months and months. We've seen the pressure that Skid Row is under, not not just during the pandemic, but yep. you know that's been building for a long while, especially as gentrification continues unabated and we see very fancy, expensive luxury apartment buildings filling downtown, the cost of living in LA continues to climb every year significantly. Even though luxury apartment rentals have decreased in Los Angeles County, the cost of an affordable or um, you know median apartment rental has actually gone up. Like if you're trying to rent an affordable apartment in LA, it costs you more money. And that's absolutely the way the capitalism is designed to work. Like those luxury buildings are ultimately financial vehicles for money laundering for the wealthy, they can afford to take a little bit of a haircut. That value over time is going to go up and they're going to get their ROI. But trying to rent a building to a working family, well, you're just not making enough money letting that family live on you know, the absolutely paltry minimum wage here in LA. And that, that minimum wage is $15 an hour. But in order to be outside the poverty range here in LA County for a family of four, you have to be making over $80,000 a year. Like, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And there's a reason LA is losing families year over year. And there's that's a reason why I think in cities like LA, we're seeing less families unhoused because they're moving to other places before they permanently lose their shelter. They're moving back to other states. They're moving out of Los Angeles County mm -hmm. to cheaper places to try and get a finger hold on housing. And then finding the economic situation is no more stable out there. So we know that the um, eviction moratorium is going to be uh, ending this summer, most likely. Um, and that's going to be a huge flood of evictions. And if it's not a huge flood of evictions, it's going to be a huge flood of uh, civil lawsuits against tenants where landlords are coming after their wages and pushing them even farther into homelessness. Like this whole idea of turning rent debt into uh, consumer, consumer debt, debt and allowing landlords to sue them is not going to change the fact that like you only make so much money in a month. And if you're giving a lot of that money to your former landlord or to your current landlord to cover past rent, you're not going to be able to pay the current rent. And you're going to get evicted over that, even if you can't get evicted over the past rent. So don't expect these numbers to get any better in the next year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's a fun note to be ending on. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go to pickups real quick because we do have 
um, maybe not fun stuff, but we have some some ways to yell at people in power this week, uh, as well as a couple other things that we do want to boost. Their, uh, Black Lives Matter LA is uh, circulating a petition to fire Chief uh, Michael Moore, or as I like to pronounce it, Michelle Moore, because I think French <laughs> is nifty. Uh, and you can uh, go ahead and find that on the BLMLA Twitter page. I'll put the link in the uh, description of the uh, podcast. Uh, but yeah, I would go sign that. R- Chief Beck... Chief Beck didn't just randomly retire. Nope. Like that didn't, that wasn't a thing that just happened. Eric Garcetti was pressured into making Charlie Beck go away. Charlie Beck now works for Chicago police department. So uh, it's hard to keep a bad cop down. I think is the ultimate lesson there. Oh, God damn it. He really went to Chicago. Yeah. He works for CPD now. Oh, what a fucking asshole. Yeah. Oh my God. And we can't, this is why I mean this. Not that it would have changed anything, but oh my god, they, like we need decertification rules so fucking badly in this state, in this country. Like if you, <sighs> yeah. yeah. Well, if you if you if you've been following the politics in Chicago, uh, he fits in right <laughs> really well with the mayor. Lori Lightfoot, yeah, <laughs> no, uh, very much birds of a feather. Um, yeah, okay, so anyway, other things happening tomorrow uh, and for the rest of the week. We we do have the Los Angeles Police Commission meeting once again uh, tomorrow morning. Hit up at LAPCFails on Twitter for tons more information on how to participate, what is going on, uh, and just, you know, in general, how to support the activists who have been, you know, pushing for this kind of change and are at the root of how we got rid of Chief Beck uh, a couple of years ago. You know, sadly, to only have him be replaced by uh, Mr. Mr. Policing Data himself, uh, Michael Moore. Um, I will be on the Knock Twitter page once again for live tweets of the L.A. City Council uh, on Tuesday and on Wednesday. Uh, we do have another BLM action calling for the um, dissolution of uh, police associations. Uh, this is an action taking place once again in front of the Los Angeles Police Protective League, which is conveniently located across the street from the ACLU SoCal offices, uh, where there is a giant mural talking about the need to defund and abolish the police. Uh, that is, I believe, 1313 West 8th Street, um, but I might be mistaken on that one. Check Twitter for the social flyers uh, for all of that stuff at BLMLA on Twitter to find more information about that protest happening again on Wednesday at 3 p.m. as usual. This is a weekly protest, folks. Uh, Let's see. Anything else we've got? uh, Go ahead and check our calendar for Ground Game LA events at bit.ly slash ggeventscal. It is a great resource for you to be able to uh, plug into your phone and know what is going on around Los Angeles where you can get plugged in. Uh, Gina is telling me that I got it correct with the address. So hooray for that. Thank you, Gina, for tuning in. And, uh, yeah, that's all I've got here. Uh, Terry squirrel, you got anything else to add before we go to the outro? No, I think that's it. Keep, uh, hitting up knocked out LA, check out the rest of, uh, Cerise's article. If you can, uh, definitely make the BLM LA, um, uh, action on Wednesday. It's really important stuff. I cannot be there this week because I have to get some oral surgery done on Wednesday and I will be, very, very doped up um, and hopefully not in too much pain. Yeah, hopefully not. Terry? Uh, stay at home unless you're going out to get the first vaccine that's offered to you. Yeah, yeah. 
that is a some some very sage advice for parting parting words of wisdom. Thank you, Terry. All right. Well, as always, y'all, if you've got any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing, or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page, on Twitter, or Instagram at Ground Game LA. Uh, this podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Of course, you can check the description of this podcast for sources, links to action, and social media links. Thank you very much for tuning in with us. Uh, that was a great interview we had with Cerise. Thank you, Cerise, for all of the work that you've been doing. And thank you to all of our comrades over uh, on the editorial team at Knock.LA. Like yep. this, we, we could not do all of this without you it's fucking amazing to see how far everything has come uh since those early days and uh let's go keep shit posting on twitter because that's how we roll (laughs) (laughs) all right well stay safe out there y'all uh thank you again for tuning in and uh we'll see you next week oh uh and before i forget uh tune on friday belt a louder for the people in the back we will be continuing our uh, mission to unpack all of the politics and fun sci-fi bullshit of uh, the Expanse series as uh, Squirrel and uh, Logan and I continue to uh, go through that. It's so much fun. It's you, you yeah. all should really be joining in. Uh, 7 p.m. on Fridays. Lots of fun. Uh, and uh, also some great fashion because uh, we, 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 we cover all the bases. So anyway. Have a great week, y'all. Stay safe out there and uh, talk to you later. Bye. Later.